0: On film and entertainment, and four movies to discuss, and hopefully a couple of musicals/slash plays. So that's on the menu today. As is Peter Krauss. Uh, I think uh, quite delectable when it comes to cinema, at least. Uh, <laughs> your, your knowledge of sport, Peter, um, would that sort of fit onto a an old one cent piece? Uh, I was going to say a thimble, but yes. <laughs> I think that's true. Greg, you're a little bit more attuned to the sporting world, which also crosses over as entertainment. But uh, in terms of uh, – actually, do you like any sport other than football? I'm curious. Uh, That's the main one. Is there anything else that you show an interest in at all in the world of sport or not? Uh, Well, no. Okay, so Olympic Games,
1: no? Uh, Not really. I do tend to watch some of the Australians competing,
0: but um, yeah, I'm curious in terms of you know how swimming, um, that kind of thing, maybe. Um, so, sorry, what was that? I, I didn't hear that. Swimming, I yeah. Now I think swimming's a terrific sport. I it's one of those things. I I'm I'm allergic to chlorine, and I find that I I I learnt to swim, but I don't swim well, and I'm I can't say I'm confident in the water uh, or in the water. Did you? I mean, both of you guys, similar sort of age, was swimming a big part of your bringing up or, or not? Maturation? Greg? Yeah, um,
1: I, was, I used to go swimming all the time, um, especially in summer there. Um, and when I moved to Melbourne, you had indoor pools. I could go swimming um, there as well. Um, and so, sorry, when you said move to Melbourne. Melbourne. Everything, so I'm pretty, pretty versed in that. I don't drown, put it that way.
0: Well, that's so when you say move to Melbourne, where, where were you originally from? Um, I was born out in the country. Country
1: Victoria.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. And Peter, what about you? Uh, swimming, big part of your bring- upbringing or not really?
2: Not really. I just had to do it when I was in primary school to get my certificate to That's prove right. that, I, that I couldn't drown. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, it's fair and reasonable. I, I Look, I suppose the, the easiest thing to do is walking, Greg, which is what you do, correct? Uh, yeah. And, and you, you can do that anywhere in the world at any time. Well, not at any time. I remember when I. Uh, My wife is South African, and we visited South Africa for the first time since she left the country, and it was my first experience there as well. And we were warned that you don't want to go out after dark, which was quite sobering, to be quite honest. And when we landed Johannesburg, there's a barbed wire everywhere, which was quite confronting, I've got to say. And, you know, obviously, she came to Australia with a family to escape apartheid. And it was, yeah, it was interesting how the the whole country has changed and changed since, of course, uh, as well. Uh, But I suppose the difficulty is, I mean, I remember even walking, do you remember the first match, even if you don't follow cricket, Greg, there was a a big, big to-do because Dave Warner, David Warner, who's our opening batsman, was playing, I think it was either a a T20 or a 50-over game, and I walked back next to the Shrine, and this was around about ten o'clock at night. Now, if if you you know that part of the world, both of you, yeah. and and I yeah. was confronted by two or three people, one of whom had a knife. Uh, so that was kind of a bad experience, which was not far from the CBD. And the CBD itself can be a bit seedy, Greg, which is where you live, can't it?
1: It can be. I, but I, living here, having lived here long enough, I know where to avoid and what times to avoid and you know, pretty safe
0: where I go. Yeah, I I just wonder, I mean, Peter, you've got a friend of yours as well who often comes to cinema and uh, she sort of wanders home at night and I I sort of, uh, I'm not trying to be sexist here, but, I mean, obviously uh, a person on their own walking home late at night, you know, my wife and I were rather concerned, shall we say. I don't know whether that's something that crosses your mind. It does, but she seems
2: very comfortable. She knows. uh, Yeah, it does. She does, uh, yeah, how to navigate. By the way, you mentioned South Africa. Did yeah. you know the South African Film Festival is on right now
0: at the Classic Cinema? No, I didn't. And the, the interesting thing is, why were they not give? Um, why did we not hear more about it? The promotion of it hasn't been strong.
2: That's a good point. It's all done uh, internally by by the Classic and by the people who run it. So they always contact me, and I went to the opening night on Thursday. Um ah. Which was a, a documentary on Lady Smith Mombaza, I think it's called. Right. Uh, 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 anyway, so there's about 20 films, um, both uh, in cinema and online. Uh, many over the, fresh, over many this
0: ones, Peter. I mean, many things, many things that are uh, sort of narrative based, not not documentaries, and that are sort of original works. There are. There are a
2: number of uh, recent films, uh, documentaries, of course, but also some feature films, including one I've seen, The Fragile King, uh, about a grandfather-son-grandson um, uh, relationship in South Africa. Very good film. Anyway, and, so that,
0: that's no, no, no that's, that's good. I, I, while we're on film festivals, we may as well start with this, because the German film festival started on Thursday night, and uh, we – I think uh, at least you and I, I'm not sure whether Greg saw this one, but we saw the media preview was Sissy and I, -I S-I-S-I and I, and it concerned. It was a rather interesting film actually. I mean, I I didn't know the story, but I was kind of thinking about the story as uh, you you know how much interest there was in Princess Diana and unfortunately her untimely passing, etc. But back sort of more than a hundred years earlier there was interest in duchess elizabeth in bavaria which is what sissy and i sort of concentrates on and the duchess lived between 1837 and 1898 and her nickname was sissy hence the title of the movie and she was empress of austria she was also queen of hungary as a result of her marriage to emperor franz joseph i she was married Peter, at 16 uh, yeah, ra- rather tender age. She was married in 1854. Now, she, she's known or was known as one of the most beautiful and famous women of 19th century Europe. And she's played here by Suzanne Wolfe. Quite a demanding beauty routine that uh, the Duchess had, including daily care of her long and abundant hair. I was thinking of Rapunzel when I was sort of... Um, looking at that. Uh, anyway, she, she maintained a really rigorous and disciplined exercise regime or regimen, and um, I suppose I admire that. But anyway, it was she, she was involved in sports like gymnastics and she, she was a rider as well, horse rider, uh, and that sort of helped her keep a, a slim figure. She also became emotionally distant from her husband as she got older. And, and she basically escaped him, fleed from him and also escaped duties of life at court. So she avoided those duties as much as she possibly could. And she also traveled quite extensively. So this is a, Sissy and I is a wild reinterpretation of her story told from the perspective of her lady-in-waiting, who is known as Countess Irma von Satterray, played by Sandra Hulia. And she was brought up, this is the sort of Irma von Satterray, brought up by her strict and overbearing mother Maria, and she's, at the age of 42, Countess Irma was chosen to join the Empress, to join Sissy, who is by then living in an aristocratic women-only commune at her summer residence in Greece, in Corfu. So it's fair to say that at first Irma has no idea what, what what's just hit her. And the Empress really is nothing if not quite eccentric and extravagant she's got this sort of my way or the highway approach, dismissive, I would say, of subordinates and, and very dismissive on a whim, right? If, if, the, um, if the breeze walks one way or moves one way, she might have one approach and then the next moment she's got another one. And this is, as I say, Sissy's approach to everybody. She can be playful, she can be exuberant, but just as easily quite melancholy and standoffish. And at times really downright cruel. Nevertheless, Irma grew to love the Empress and and become highly protective of her. And at one point, she's clearly jealous of the Empress's affections for another person. The director, Frocke Fistenwalder, has based this film, Sissy and I, which he wrote along with Christian Kracht, on Irma's historical writings. Quite a fascinating portrait, actually, of a woman Prone to extremes, to excess, to indulgence, and the relationship between the Empress and her lady in waiting, I thought was very well formed and quite quite well developed. I did appreciate the dynamic between them and how Irma came to read read the room out how, how to sort of read the mood of the Empress, or otherwise known as Sissy, uh, quite quite um, adeptly. But my read on on the Empress is that she's rega- she regarded the people in her service as playthings to be pushed and prodded in any way she saw fit. So that, that's my quick interpretation. What about yours, Peter, Sissy and I? Yeah, I think
2: that's that's quite a reasonable interpretation. It, the, the mythology surrounding the Austrian uh, empress, um, uh, Sissy, um, is is quite incredible. There were three films made in the 1950s um, uh, starring Romy Schneider as uh, Empress mm-hmm. Elizabeth, and, and this whole notion of this potentially uh, early feminist um, sort of uh, empress and her wanting to be independent and so on was starting to emerge in the third film uh, in the 50s, but also in the film that we saw recently, Corsage, uh, that uh, starred Vicky Creeps who also played uh, uh, Empress Sissy much more as an independent uh, woman uh, wanting to be free of the shackles of, uh, of marriage and of, uh, of her uh, husband. Uh, it's uh, I found this version uh, seen through the eyes of uh, Sandra Hula, who plays uh, Irma, uh, a, a very interesting take On this whole mythology because there have been a number of interpretations of uh, the Empress and and this is another version of that as seen through uh, another eye if you like. I I like it. It's interesting
0: because there's sort of a dignity and on occasions a desperation about the way that Irma conducts herself. And I, I kind of like that juxtaposition. I, I like the way the characters were presented in the film. And and I thought that Suzanne Wolfe brought this strength and determination, as well as vulnerability to her role as the Empress. And Sandra Hula, well, really runs the gamut of emotions as the dutiful lady in waiting. Hmm.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And, and Sandra Hula is such a terrific actress. She was, of course, in Tony Erdmann and uh, so many other films. So, yes, that dynamic is so well developed in the film. And uh, uh, it, it's interesting the, the way the film concludes, which, of course, we won't spoil, but no. uh, uh, quite a contrast to Corsage and quite a contrast to the original Sissy
0: films from the 50s. So but certainly a highlight of this year's German Film Festival. I also quite like George Frederick. He makes an immediate and really favourable impression as the colourful friend of the Empress, shall we say, who comes to visit her in Corfu. He may not have a big role, but it's a role that really stands out or stood out to me. Yes, yes,
2: exactly. Mm. The the uh, and it's also nice to see Angela Winkler, the veteran German actress, uh, playing a, a small but key role later in the film. It's a it's a really well cast and well acted film.
0: It's it's fascinating because the, what you've got is a situation where everybody's constantly on edge, trying to meet the empress's demands. They're they're running and scurrying is probably the word scurrying this way and that. You know the, these demands and expectations are quite seem to be quite outrageous at times. I, I've got to say I thought it was a bit indulgent, Peter. Two hours twelve minutes really. I mean uh, it, it sort of I, look it opens the door on a cultured but clearly troubled woman who back in the day appeared as intriguing as I said as uh, Lady Diana was, but did it really need to be two hours, 12
2: minutes? I didn't worry about the length at all. I think it needed to be developed very carefully in terms of her character and the relationship between her and Irma. So I had no problem with that.
0: Uh, Greg, you haven't seen this one, but you've seen it. No, other... I've seen I've seen this one. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't ignoring you, but I did, I wasn't sure. So so. What I wasn't did... sure either when you were ignoring me. I must just <laughs> been ignored. But... So what did look, you think of Sissy and I?
1: Look, I... I saw Cossage recently as well, and this film shares a few similarities with it, but I thought this film paled in comparison. It lacked the bolder vision and style of Marie Kruzer there. Um, this one I thought was a bit episodic in nature as well over the two, uh, two and a bit of hours there, um, but it's got that modern sensibility here, which Peter alluded to as well. Um, Elizabeth is shown as a radical woman with a modern sensibility, but she's also shown as a flawed person, vain and capricious. But I thought um, Sandra Huller did a good job of conveying this complex character there. Um, It's beautifully shot, it's got great um, costumes and production design there, and some evocative image from the cinematographer there. But I thought it lacked any real depth or insight into the characters. As I said, a little bit episodic in nature. And I found over two hours, it was a little bit uneven and dragged at times there. Mm. Two strong central performances there. Um, obviously, um, Wolf had a lot of fun playing her. Um, oh, yes. Didn't. Oh, I mean, yeah.
0: You could t- you, erratic uh, and, and That's to her like, credit. That's to her credit the way that she, yeah. she there, there, there was a sort of almost lilt in her step at times. And I, I thought that worked very well.
1: Yeah.
0: What would you give it out of 10, Greg? Probably five. Really? A a pass okay sissy and i i think peter you and i are going to do better than that what what, what have you given her? i i should
2: mention corsage was set during her 40th birthday and that time period whereas uh, sissy and i is much more uh, developed over a longer period but anyway yeah. i really liked it i think the uh, the characters were re- well developed and well acted
0: eight out of ten from me wow okay yeah i'm giving it a seven so you know i I thought it was a worthy film. It's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but it's – and and the German Film Festival has got some – Greg, you've seen others, and Peter, have you seen others already within the festival? Not yet. I wasn't invited to opening night. I've seen –
1: I saw the opening night film, A Thousand Lies.
0: Now, don't tell us – I I want to see that, so uh, we'll perhaps discuss it uh, later. Is it a worthwhile film is what I'll ask you about it.
1: Uh, yeah, it's an interesting idea, tapping into all that stuff about ethics of journalism and everything. And it reminded like me, remind me a little bit of that 2003 drama Shattered Glass that starred Hayden Christensen oh, yes. as a journalist who fabricated his stories. Um, so, yeah, interesting um, story. Doesn't quite hang together completely, but, yeah, it's an interesting story and sort of very timely and relevant.
0: What, what Just give us a score out of 10. What would you have given it?
1: I'd probably give it six and a half to seven.
0: Okay. All right. So it's a decent sort of film. You are on Jair, 88 FM. And one thing I should mention that, folks, it'd be really nice because we're a community radio station and you can become a member. It's 54 bucks a year. That's it. $54. And that supports the radio station, keeps us on air. And we are, you know, a proud station, but we do need public support. That's the way that every community radio station works. So if you don't mind, if you can sort of find uh you know a bit of spare change shall we say i know times are tough but uh 54 bucks all you need to do is you get on to j-air.com.au j-air.com.au you follow the links and bob's your uncle or what's the equivalent uh, female expression uh, We we need to be gender neutral when we're talking these days so yeah but why not support us if you can if you feel like uh, we're worthy of your support. Then go for it. Now instead of Bob's your uncle, how about Roberta's your aunt? Doesn't kind of yeah maybe maybe we need a new expression for for this politically correct society in which we work. Talking about politically correct, I suppose that's a that's a prompt for me to talk about polite society. Uh, I hardly think we live in polite society, but there we go. And and this film isn't totally polite, but there the name of it that's it. M rated, 104 minutes. It's a what I'd call a disruptive cultural comedy, Greg. Is that fair enough?
1: Uh, yeah, it crosses um Bollywood with um a your English comedy, yeah, and action yeah. movie and coming of age story
0: and rom com. Yeah, it's got a lot thrown into the mix. It, it's a sort of it, it's basically I, I reckon it's kind of a sought after genre because you you go back to my big fat Greek wedding and and movies like that that have done particularly well. I reckon this is going to go well at the cinemas and it deserves to it, it's a it's a worthy entrant into that sort of sub-genre but the, the writer and director by the way has a television background her name is nida manzoor and i reckon she's crafted a, a kick-butt actioner with attitude in, in what is her feature film debut. so i'll be watching her career with a great deal of interest it's set in london around the pakistani community and you've got a character called ria played by Priya Kansara, senior high school student, obsessed with martial arts. There you go, Greg. There's another sport you could get involved with. And she she dreams of becoming a stunt woman, Ria. At every opportunity, she prevails upon her older sister, Lena, played by Ritu Aria, to help facilitate her training, her martial arts training and she live streams her moves to social media. Now, there is one particular move that she cannot get right. Try as she does, time and time again. And this is a, a signature move of her stunt hero, a woman called Eunice. This move that she simply can't get right. At school, Rhea is, well, she's in pretty tight with a couple of best friends. Clara, played by Safina Bay, and Alba, Ella Larry. So they're the two best mates. And she's also regularly targeted for bullying by Kovac, played by Shona Babayemi. Meanwhile, the sister, Lena, the older sister, is going through a bit of a rough patch, a lot of a rough patch, quite frankly. She's dropped out of art school and is, well, she's doing nothing. All ambition appears to have deserted her. The, the family's from working class stock Unexpectedly then, the girls and their parents, Fatima, played by Shobu Kapoor, and Raf, Jeff Mirza, are invited to a high society event. This happens because basically that the mother is in a bit of a, a women's group, shall we say, and they go out for sort of lunches and yeah, the invite comes along. And the overtures come from Fatima's swami, smami, I should say, affluent friend called Rahila, played by Nimrabuka. Rahila has a handsome and talented son called Salim, played by Akshay Khanna. He's a doctor who really can seemingly have any, any woman he wants. But he targets Lena, quickly turns her head. Problem is that the younger sister Rhea doesn't buy it, especially not when it results in preparations for what becomes an arranged marriage. And in Lena's best interests, in the interests of her older sister, even though she encounters fierce opposition, Rhea will do anything and everything to sabotage the union. That's what it's all about. I found it heaps of fun. We, you and I, Peter, saw it at the opening of the what film festival? Fantastic film festival. Exactly, good name for a film festival. Yeah. The alliteration works too. And uh, mind you, we did see a short called Gnomes, which I can never get out of my head. If you ever get a chance to see, you are never going to see gnomes in the same light if you ever get to see the short. Is that correct, Peter? It is a wonderful film. Oh, my God. Nothing, nothing like ingesting some gnomes. I, I think you've got to take a Bex and a lie down if you see gnomes. <laughs> uh, and When you say it's a wonderful film, um, my wife was ready to run kicking and screaming from the cinema. But there we go. Uh, it is quite something. Anyway, we're not on we're not on about gnomes, we're on about polite society. Heaps of fun. And as I said, no doubt it's going to resonate with an appreciative audience. And I gotta say, Greg, Priya Sarah, what a find in the lead role. Fierce and funny. And and those expressions of hers, those big round eyes, I, I give her extra gravitas. Did you like her?
1: Yeah, and she I thought she acquitted herself well in a very physical role as well. Um very good um Well, in the role there, but this is a sort of unique film, you know, it stands out when you've got lots of remakes, reboots, Mm -hmm. sequels and superhero movies in the cinema, so it's nice to come across something at least a little bit different and original there, but it's a lot of fun, as you said, Alex. I liked um, Rhea's two sidekicks at school, I thought they were a bit, especially in the element um, those scenes where they're trying to find the dirt on Salim there. And I like the mother, um, the manipulative mother oh, there. Right. Um, Nimra Busha, I thought she was really good there. And she relishes the role and she chews the scenery at every opportunity as the malevolent matriarch there. Um, really well done. I thought there was some great fight choreography here as well. Spectacular costumes. The music was good. Um, yeah, it looked really good and it carries a strong feminist message as well dealing with themes of family, sisterhood, culture, tradition. Um, yeah,
0: I, I like this a lot. I also like Rita Aria. She has a moment as this older sister. She goes from deadbeat to deluded, doesn't she, really?
1: She does, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's pr- pr- it's, um the centre of the film, though. I thought. Oh,
0: yeah. I, mean, look, I, I really also liked um, the, the sort of uh, the, the characterisation not only of the You've got you've got a lot of really strong characters. Uh, you've already mentioned Nimra uh, Buka, but I also like Shobu Kapoor as the, the the mother of the the two girls. I thought she she just she she has something about her characterisation. She she plays it straight but comedically, and it works. It really works very very well, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and I like Jeff Merza as the father too. It's a familiar role to him because he played the father in Blinded by the Light as well. So it's a familiar role for him, but I thought he brought a lot to the, lot to the role as well.
0: Yeah, that, that was great. And, look, the I mean, the many standout features in this, as far as I'm concerned, you've already mentioned the sort of villainous cartoon-like persona of Nimra uh, I I've thought the... The production design, Simon Walker's production design was very strong. And Ashley Connors' cinematography was worth a mention. Really quite a lot of wonderful, colourful scenes shot around the imminent wedding that takes place. And that's where the the best of Bollywood sort of comes to mind. And I just thought the the costume design by P.C. Williams and the music from Tom Howe and, and Shez Manzor, they also hit the mark. What did you think of it, Peter?
2: I really enjoyed it as a cultural satire, uh, especially uh, revealing a lot about Pakistani culture and also uh, as a very strong feminist-oriented film, including from the director and writer and uh, lead actors and so on. I think it, it worked extremely well. I, I loved the idea that uh, the uh, the younger woman wanted to be a stunt woman and mm-hmm. was rehearsing and trying to be that um, and uh, noticing that uh, there were some occasions when there was a crouching a hidden dragon uh, situation, <laughs> where they were flying through the air with the uh, the martial arts kicks and all that sort of thing. Uh, look, this is a, a very clever uh, and amusing uh, portrait of uh, of how cultures can work together very well in uh, in British society, uh, and it it's it really is uh, very funny in many respects. The uh, the cartoonish villain. Uh, as the the mother, I thought, was actually very well presented. And, and uh, yes, I, I didn't find it so much a Bollywood-type uh, film, but more of that cultural satire and of uh, uh, looking at more of those but martial... But
0: the, the wedding scene was certainly a, a Bollywood-type Situation. a little bit yeah yeah but I mean, the martial martial arts perspective and the idea of
2: women being powerful and uh seeking revenge when they are treated
0: badly i think was very well developed indeed i agree i agree i mean look there's an inherent silliness about it but there's also joy in the scheming that, that forms a large part of the plot and no getting away from the fact that this is a film that's got sass and bite and you just it's joyful in that regard and it's i reckon it's I suppose I'd call it a lose-yourself-in-the-moment crowd pleaser. There's going to be a lot of people who enjoy this, so I hope it does well. It is called Polite Society. It's 104 minutes. It's rated M. Your score out of 10, Peter. Loved it. Uh, uh,
2: Even the ironic title is uh, is amusing. Mm. Uh, uh, I also gave this one 8 out
0: of 10. Good on you. What about you, Greg? Yeah,
1: it's quite silly at times, but it's a real crowd pleaser. I gave it 7 out of 10
0: and I gave it seven and a half, so we've spanned, <laughs> we've spanned seven to eight. So the average is seven and a half. Go along and see it, folks. It's gonna do very, very nicely. Uh, quite a contrast, and by the way, you are on Air 88FM. Listen, 24 seven, if you want. I mean, you should get a little bit of shut-eye every now and again, but there's programming to stimulate you. The inspection, it's MA rated, it's 95 minutes, inspired by the writer and director, a person called Elegance Bratton, his own story of overcoming fierce odds to become a U.S. Marine. Now, Greg, have you ever wanted to become a member of the armed forces? No. <laughs> OK, Peter? Definitely not. I have to say that um very proud of my son-in-law. He actually fought for Australia in Afghanistan and he's now a, a policeman. So, you know, he's been serving this country from the age of 18. So, you know, some people are destined to do that sort of thing. Anyway, uh, I get, we get off the um, the path of the inspection, but we're talking about uh, New Jersey. I, I think it's 2005, isn't it? That, that, yes. Uh, 2005. And uh, you've got 25-year-old Ellis French, played by Jeremy Pope, leading a, well, a threadbare existence. And he's estranged from his mum, Inez, played by Gabrielle Union, He's been on his own since the age of 16. Uh, The one thing he actually wants to do is to make her proud. He's down and out though. Things really haven't gone well and he determines that he's gonna sign on to become a Marine. Problem is that boot camp is hardly what he counted on. Of course, it's tough on all new recruits who have to meet harsh requirements. In this case of a very rough taskmaster, a Desert Storm veteran called Laws, played by Bokim Woodbine, but this man, Ellis French, is especially singled out. And I should say at this point, openly gay men are not allowed in the armed services, so they keep quiet about their sexuality when they enlist. Now, that's, of course, not to say that there aren't gay men and women in the military. Of course there are, but uh, what's that expression? If you, don't, if you don't say anything?
1: Don't ask, don't tell.
0: Don't ask, don't tell, thank you, Greg, yeah. So, but after Laws and the squadron leader, Harvey, played by McCall Lombardi, discover that French is in fact gay, they give him hell. They constantly step over the line. They, They wanna break him, it's as simple as that. But despite the challenges, several of which are illegal, he keeps coming back for more. Now, as for the mother, the confrontation between mother and son happens late in the movie, late in the inspection. And it lays out just why the two fell out in the first place. The picture really is is hardly a pretty one, is it? It's it's one of those things that's hard to watch at times. And Bratton, as the writer and director, I've got to say, I thought he took a sledgehammer approach to the material, painted a really ugly portrait as, as the men are exposed to this heady, testosterone-filled environment, and you got pride in service on the one hand, but it's counterpointed with the dirty tactics used to undermine the recruits. So, look, although it is an important story to be told, and I, I emphasise that, I felt the all-or-nothing approach was too heavy-handed when a bit of nuance was warranted, or a lot of nuance was warranted. Uh, still, uh, Jerry, Jeremy Pope, Pope makes quite an impressive feature film, debut as a man on edge throughout who's really the easiest option would be to bail. And the other one, of course, that stands out is Bakim Woodbine plays up that tough, unrelenting demeanor of a man used to getting his own way. There's also a bit of a thuggishness, a lot of thuggishness about McCall, Lombardi's portrayal, looking to see French broken. I also quite like the, when we talk nuance, there is a bit of nuance about the squadron leader's deputy, whose name is Rosales, played by Raul Castillo. He recognises he's got a job to do in terms of training the recruits, but he can still empathize with the situation in which Ellis French finds himself. And and I should also mention it that, that as a device, the fact that we don't know exactly what went down between mother and son until near the end of the picture, I thought that worked very, very well. So that was my, my take on it. Peter, what about yours?
2: I, I found this quite an impressive film because Did it's you? clear really? it's because it's clearly autobiographical, and this yeah. is a and of course a first-time filmmaker as well, and he's telling the story of being gay in the Marines uh, and having a, a disaffected mother at the same time. Uh, I, I think the uh, the scenes are very realistic and understandable. Rather than over the top,
0: especially when you consider. Really? Do you not think yes. it was over the top? I, I, I no, really, well, well, it really stood com- out yeah. to me, Gre- uh, uh, Peter, for that very reason, for the wrong reason, to be honest.
2: Look, huh. if, if you've seen films like Full Metal Jackets of and, course, I have, film,
0: you know. and Beau
2: Travail, Claire Denis' film about the Foreign Legion, and the tough. Uh, male rivalry and, as you say, testosterone-filled situation that these men find themselves in and have to overcome uh, to try and move forward and achieve something. Mm -hmm. I think it it is presented quite realistically The the Marines would not be backward in coming forward in in training their men, although we don't see any women, unfortunately, but training their men Mm -hmm. um, to be as tough and, uh, and as possible to be able to resist the enemy. So I think that sort of personal reflection uh, by the filmmaker works very well for me. And with the final scene where the the lead character, the lead actor, Jeremy Pope, looks in the mirror, really? the whole idea of, uh, I think the idea is that we, the audience, look at the whole training method, look at the way men deal with one another, and look at the way gays, in particular, gay people, uh, are treated in the military. I, I think there are a number of aspects to this film that really worked for me.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I mean, I I really would have liked more subtlety in the storytelling. I, I think that would have added belief for me. And I'm not doubting that there was the you know barking instructions from the moment they get off the bus. I don't doubt any of that. I, I just... It it was most of the characters were single dimensional. And that troubled me, Peter. That didn't trouble you. I didn't find so much
2: that single dimensional. I think I think they were on the surface and early on. They seemed to be like that. But there were some characters that developed and changed over that time period. So, no, it didn't bother me at all.
0: Mm, okay, Greg, you're yet to see this one, are you not? I'm yet to see this one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that no, that's well, it's it's going to be an interesting one for you, given that Peter and I have got you know vastly different views. So okay, it's M A rated. It's called the Inspection. Runs for 95 minutes. Score from from you, Peter.
2: I really liked it. Seven out of ten for me. Oh
0: well, that's interesting. I, I'm not giving it a bad mark. I'm giving it a six and a half because I still think it had an important message. So we're not far apart. But I suppose our narrative on it is somewhat different. So, yeah, well, Greg, maybe um, next week, if you get the chance to see it, uh, you can add your, your two penneth worth, so to speak, and and give us your opinion as to which way which way you go on it. I, I mean, I, I think the biggest problem that I have with movies is some, I suppose, is the script when when they don't work for, for me. The, the other thing is you want to believe. You actually want to lose yourself in the characters. And uh, I... I always felt that they, they were, were acting. That that's that's my sort of problem with it. Anyway, let's let's turn to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Now, okay, Greg, you're quite vocal in saying superhero movies are over them, right? You've been saying that for a long time on this program.
1: Okay, I, I just get bored with them. They're the same old, same old great special effects, but um, yeah, no, nah, I'm over them.
0: Yeah, now you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy. By no, I haven't.
1: 3. I had a preview at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, which I can get to.
0: No, because you're of course teaching. So yeah, which is uh, highly meritorious in and of itself. So uh, once again, I'll be curious as to whether you think this sort of breaks the mold or maintains it. Uh, look, it's it's full of action. It's got the humour that we're used to with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Got a ripping soundtrack, and that's one of the things that really stands out about the franchise. And it's it's really what I liked about this, it's got a a great heartfelt backstory. So it's quite an appealing package. It's the third film in the trilogy. The only problem, Peter, each one's 15 minutes longer than the one before. I mean, (laughs) seriously, I I looked at it, I think two hours, two hours, one, two hours, 15 and two hours, 30. I mean, really Um, now the fan favorites return, they're pitted against a megalomaniacal arch villain who's searching for perfection at any cost there's nothing terribly original about that though but there we go that's what the the plot line is and at the start of the movie the Guardians of the Galaxy are adjusting to life on nowhere and Peter Quill Chris Pratt he's struggling to deal with the loss of his beloved Gamora Zoe Saldana's character and he's constantly drunk Um, does that ring a bell uh, for you Gregory no, I'm not
1: warning anybody on a distant planet and I'm not constantly drunk, despite what you might think in
0: your no, no, no. slides. You know slight, that I'm just having slight slight comments, Alex. You yes, you know that they are purely meant as a as a gentle dig, nothing further. So I hope you take them in the right vein. Um nothing nothing further, you worship. Um and, and I've got you on health kicks in the past. So there we go. Um I'm not sure that was me or whether that was you, but
1: uh No, it's me being me. I, I've been I was jogging long before I met you, Alex, and that.
0: That's it. Sorry, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to push uh, too hard on this, Greg. So I, I apologize on air if I, if it sounded like it. Um, then, out of the blue, this colony is attacked by Adam Warlock, played by Will Poulter, who is this powerful artificial being create. This is sort of AI related again. I've got to say to you, and AI is scary, is it not, Peter? I mean, it, you know, the, the prospect for AI. If it's used for good, I think it's going to be brilliant. But the counter is 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 rather scary. Do you do you agree?
2: Look, I agree. It's when it becomes humanistic, uh, like it, it does in Ex Machina and uh, other films, that's when it becomes scary.
0: Well, uh, also, it's, Greg, always the,
2: scary,
1: it's always been scary in movies, even as far back as 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yes. Al, um, yeah. The Demon Seed and Skynet and the Terminator movies. It's all well, the Terminator,
0: Terminator really movies are Terminator Two was what a brilliant film. I, I, I just, I never, t- most people who've seen Terminator 2 are blown away by it and all these years later, I think, uh, yeah. Anyway, that, that it's, it's one of those films. Uh, the, having said that, let's get back to guardians of the galaxy volume three. So you've got the colony being attacked by Adam Warlock. And the, the whole idea is that they're out to destroy the guardians. And this guy wreaks havoc, almost claims the life of rocket because this this film is all about rocket, voiced by Brad Cooper. His only hope for survival rests on the guardians infiltrating the lair of a character known as the high evolutionary. and I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his name, so I apologize. Chuk Woody Iwoji. That's the best I can do. Chuck Woody Iwoji plays the high evolutionary. He's a sociopath, Peter isn't he? looking to create. Yep a perfect race of highly evolved and intelligent beings, in, in, in a nutshell. And his grotesque experiments, because he experiments very, very liberally, expose Rocket's heart-wrenching backstory. So at the same time, an old flame steps back into Quill's life, but she no longer recognises him. She seems quite cold and distant, quite calculating as well. Internally, because you got the future of the galaxy at stake. The, the Guardians continue to snipe amongst themselves. I mean, that's been a constant through the three chapters, shall we say. Nebula, played by Karen Gillen, Gamora's adoptive sister, is hard nosed and anything but sentimental. Mantis, Pom Clementief, who's Quill's half sister, is adept at using her empathetic powers to try to strike an accord. And you've got to say a high intelligent quotient isn't high on Drax the Destroyer, Dave Batista's agenda. He just wants to use his muscle, but he's always fiercely loyal to Peter Quill. Then you've got Groot, the Vin Diesel uh, persona, who is always ready to, shall we say, branch out. Greg, can I use a dad joke uh, no. when trouble looms? So you can use it. I'm not. I haven't got a copyright on it. Uh, James Gunn. Well, he he's at the head of the franchise. He's been doing it. He's been doing. When, when did it start? Uh, quite more than you know more than a decade ago and, and again proves uh, that you know he's 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 good at he's good at doing this sort of stuff several compelling features and at the core of the story of course is a dysfunctional but loving family uh, the guardians themselves so peter did you did it rock your socks or not guardians <laughs> of the galaxy volume 3
2: Uh, No, I kept my socks on, but uh, (laughs) I I, I didn't mind it. I I thought it was a a nice way to conclude, with a question mark next to it, the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. I liked the first one, which had that sort of tongue-in-cheek quality to it, and uh, I am Groot. (laughs) Uh, almost every 10 minutes, and and we get that in this uh, yes, third version as well. Groot, Groot, Groot speaks a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. He does. His vocabulary <laughs> needs to be expanded a little bit. Perhaps <laughs> he needs to branch out a bit. But uh, anyway, uh, it look, I quite liked it because it had that nice uh, melancholy backstory for... Yeah. Uh, for Rocket, and I liked the the way the characters interacted, uh, occasionally with some amusing lines here and there, and it was amusing also to see Sylvester Stallone uh, in the film. I thought, wow, what's he doing in there? Yeah. Uh, not a yeah. lot, but he was there. Uh, but, <laughs> yes, um, that's true. And and I, uh, even though I'm not a, a huge fan of these. Um, uh, these uh, superhero type films, I thought the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise does work reasonably well. I should also point out uh, at the session I went to see a few days ago, um, there's a uh, mid-credit, end-credit sequence which a lot of people had already walked
0: out of. Yes. uh, And they would have missed that. that. I mean, there were very few people left in the cinema. In fact, we've got to say, Peter, that there's two elements here. You, you, there's while the credits are rolling and then after the credits, so. Exactly, yes. But yes.
1: People who see these films should know that by now. It's sort of um, you think so?
0: Restricted. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I would have thought so too, Greg. I, I it, it's um I, I'm I, I reckon well how many people would have been left in the cinema? Maybe twenty.
2: Yeah. yeah, about that, about that. Certainly by the time the end credits concluded and that final scene came up, which is uh, amusing in itself. Uh, look, uh, overall, I, I quite like the film. I like the rocket character, I think, was so beautifully developed. I think that was a highlight of the film.
0: Mm, yeah, I agree. I thought, I mean, there, there, it was quite emotional, which is great. I mean, that's what you really want. The vulnerabilities of many of the key characters are also exposed, aren't they, Peter? Like, And that works well. I thought the key players are strong. Each instalment, as I mentioned, did not need to be longer than the one before it. And and I've got to say, at two and a half hours, it did feel a bit strung out. The music choices, though, aren't mm. they masterful? They do that so darn well, Pete, don't they? Absolutely. The
2: music is, is terrific and the way they feed off the scenes that uh, they are based on, uh, it works extremely well. And I also, I must admit, the CGI was absolutely incredible, yes. especially the multitude of animals and other characters that were emerging in the film.
0: Yeah, look, the numbers had me up and about and and the humour, well, for the most part, it's quite corny, let's be honest, but very much in keeping with what we've come to expect from the Guardians. Uh, it's a pair of safe hands, that's how I'd describe it. Uh, and and it, look, I, th- this is there's another element here, which I think is interesting. If you haven't seen the other two, the question is, can you go along and see this and enjoy it? Absolutely. You can pick up the threads. Of course, it would help if you know the characters, but I reckon you could. What do you think, Peter? I agree. You can easily pick up the story without having uh, seen the other two episodes. Yeah, so, I mean, look, uh, the a few reservations, but generally speaking, by and large, I reckon it hits the mark and it's a film worth seeing uh, and and just be prepared to give up two and a half hours of your life. It's rated <laughs> M. It's called Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And even though this trilogy has ended, uh, there's reference to what happens next, correct, at the end of the film? Exactly. That's why I said question mark about the ending. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very good, yes. Well, you know, if it's a money-making machine, uh, Hollywood is not known to suddenly drop the bundle. So um, no pun intended. Score out of 10, Peter?
2: I I, I gave it a solid 6 out of 10.
0: Solid six. Okay. Well, I'm not sure that there is such a thing. That's a that's a rather disappointing score for a film that you quite enjoyed.
2: Yes, but considering that I give many of the superhero films less than five, oh, uh, okay, I think this see. was, okay. this, so this was great.
0: Fair enough. Fair and reasonable. <laughs> I'm giving it a seven out of ten. So uh, there we go. Folks, you are on J and I referenced earlier today that uh, you yeah, know we love your money. No, it's not like that. We actually want, um, we'd, we'd love you to support us because uh, we are a community station, and 54 bucks gets you a year's subscription to the station, and uh, hopefully you and others will be encouraged to do that. So just go to j-air.com.au and listen to programming 24/7 if you want to. Now I want to talk a little bit about um, a couple of. Plays slash musicals. One of them is actually it's going from Melbourne to Sydney, and then they're doing a reading in New York. So it's nice to have a an Australian production where you know it's going to go beyond our shores. It's called Driftwood the musical. It's on at Chapel off Chapel, which is well a really favourite venue of mine, as you know, Greg. At um in paran there you've gone a few times, haven't you? To to I Chapel, i a few times. Yes. Yeah, I I really, there's something nice about a a beautiful church that's been turned into a venue for the people. I mean, there's something fitting about that, isn't there? So for you, theatre is a religious experience anyway, Alex. Quite right. It's interesting, Greg, because I, I suppose the hard part is there's not enough hours in the day. And I think all of us find that because, Peter, you go to more movies than anybody on the planet, uh, Greg, you try to go to more movies than anybody on the planet, but basically work, uh, shall we say, gets in the way. Uh, and I'm always torn between, like this coming week, there's the opening of Once, which conflicts with the opening night, well, the media invitation to the story about John Farnham, who's my favourite Australian performer. So, you know, you, you want to split yourself in two, not literally. So it's it's always, you know, a juggling exercise. So I, the one thing that I would like to see as well, uh, and, and maybe you guys can help orchestrate this, we need a diary that combines theatre and film. Now, I keep one, but I, I want a, a professional one done by the, the publicists. Can we ever orchestrate that? Peter, what do you reckon?
2: Good luck with that. They, even
0: <laughs> the, f- the film area, the central diary isn't used properly anyway. Yeah, no, I I know it's a pipe dream, so I'll continue keeping my own diary. So Driftwood, the musical, it's set against the backdrop of the Holocaust, and it's a deeply moving tale of tribulation and triumph. The starting point for the the creator, Tanya de Jong, Tanya de Jong, uh, basically, she's she's an AM, I should say. Uh, It's her mother, Eva de Jong, Duldig's memoir that was written in 2017 and is called Driftwood, Escape and Survival, through art. And what you've got here is a musical that focuses on the true story of Eva's mother, that's Tanya's grandmother, whose name was Slava Horowitz Duldig. Slava Horowitz Duldig. You got the Horowitz and you got the Duldig families, they moved from Poland to Vienna before the start of the First World War. Slava, played by Tanya de Jong, who who lived with and was very close to her sister Rella, Michaela Berger, married Carl Anton Beresin. so once again Slava married Carl and Slava and her sister Rella are very very close so both husband and wife Slava and Carl were artists and Rella was an actress now Slava had a brilliant idea to create and patent and this actually happens yes indeed true story the foldable umbrella what a great invention eh? foldable umbrella so you, you see how that goes down within the uh, within the musical. So she, this is a woman who Slava really appreciated fine design, filled their home with practical and beautiful furniture. The rise of Hitler, though, with that the, with with the jackboots coming, their lives and those of their extended families were in peril. Slava and Karl's daughter, Eva, played by Bridget Costello, acts as the narrator to Driftwood, the musical. And events start to unfold as Eva celebrates her 18th birthday. All her life she's noted an unexplained sadness, a secretiveness about her parents and then her father gifts her a treasure trove of documents, of letters, of photos and more than that right and that explains why, why the sadness, why the secretive nature. Also among the five performers is Nelson Gardner who has among other roles Well, he's cast as Carl's brother, Ignaz, and Rella's husband, Marcel. You you think about it. So many families were torn asunder or destroyed by the Nazis. Accordingly, this personal story cuts to the quick. But it also is one of hope and inspiration. The playwright is Jane Bodie, while the score by Anthony Barnhill has been influenced by the music of the era and also by Jewish melodies. There's there's a great deal to Driftwood, the musical, so much in the lives of the protagonists. The first act, that establishes the relationships. But I found the second particularly impactful because the revelations just keep on coming. Tears, they were rolling down my cheeks. The pick of the performers to me, Michaela Berger, she's got a real richness of tone and that's matched by her authenticity, which is what we talked about, Peter, with regards to what I don't like when I don't like a movie. Often it's because I don't have the belief that I want to have. So that's really important here. Tanya De Jong, she's an opera singer, and this operatic excellence is really noteworthy throughout. Anton Berrison is this constant and assured presence. He's very much a safe pair of hands. And Bridget Costello, she's got this really sweet, rounded voice, beautiful vocals, very much ear-pleasing. Nelson Gardner, jack of all trades, assuming numerous personas and accordingly, He adopts several accents. The sets and props. The set designer is Jacob Batista, highly evocative. The furniture, the furnishings, along with personal items, establish the time frame. And I really like this element that I'm about to share with you. A large, jagged, parchment-like screen above the stage, a really fine showcase for visuals. Then you've got sound and lighting design. Yes, they enhance the experience. And and a three-piece band comprised of piano, violin and cello, really. Excellent. First rate. Direction is from Gary Abrahams and he has continued to successfully work on the production since its premiere last year. And the choreography is by Sophie Lochran. There's also a brilliant program. Please get that when you go along to see Driftwood the Musical. Highly informative, and insightful, well worth purchasing. So it's on Driftwood the Musical at Chapel off Chapel until the 20th of May then it moves to three venues in Sydney. And if you're interested in buying tickets, it's pretty easy. Just go to driftwoodthemusical.com.au. That is a Driftwood. So I've seen it now two years in a row, and they have developed the story. There's no question about that. I thought there was a lot of, lot of changes that worked very, very well in the second act. Maybe it was just my impression, but that's how I saw it. That is Driftwood. Now, I'm just cognizant that we are, are running very short of time. <clears throat> so I am going to mention just in passing that I, and next week I'll give it a full review. Happy Days is on Melbourne Theatre Production Company production, which I saw on Friday night at South Bank Theatre, the Sumner. This is the, the Irish playwright, Samuel Beckett. It's considered to be a masterwork and the yeah the independent in britain called it one of the 40 best plays of all time it's on at south bank theatre the sumner until the 10th of june directed by petra kalive and starring judith lucy wow great performance by her and also uh, hayden spencer i'll talk more about it next week peter thank you for your participation pleasure and greg likewise a pleasure thank to me. have you with us thank you good on you we'll catch you next week on First on Film and Entertainment.